Today, if you want a title, I've called it Together in Giving. And this is our once a year, sometimes twice a year, but often once a year message on giving. And giving is an important, an important topic. See, in a few weeks' time, we're going to be taking up our annual Go Forward Fund. As I shared at the church meeting last week, we do a Go Forward Fund every year, both to building locally and helping internationally. Building locally, and for this year, it's going to be really the giving towards the three things that we've already started in the last two years. So the church offices, which really enabled the offices no longer to be in our house, which kept my, me and my family sane, and that's been really neat. Um, but we also use it beyond, obviously, just for the pastoral team to meet there all the time. SG Fitness meets there. SG Youth meets there. We have stuff going on throughout the week. So we want to give towards that so we can make sure we keep them. Also, this place, for those of you that were around when we used to do the trailer and being in and out of a school, that should motivate you to give like nothing else, to be honest. You know, it's just like that was just painful week after week. And then also locally, and just giving towards our community life pastoral intern in Patrick, all those three things we started in the last two years, and we want to keep them. And so rather than reintroducing things that are new to really stretch us beyond, looking at the finances, we're aware, you know what, the Lord's really put us on a path. He's already put us on this 400 meters, and for this year, we need to be faithful in just giving towards those things to make sure we can keep them, and next year we'll move on then to something new. And then helping internationally, we're once again giving to International Care Ministries, which Brendan will talk more about next week. And then also Sovereign Grace Mission, which I'll talk about in the week after. So please come ready to give. We'll be giving on the first Sunday in March. Some people give one-offs. Many people give over the 12 months, which is the way we prefer in many ways. But if you want to give one-off, then we're not going to turn it down. So please come ready to give. But before we do that, we always want to teach on giving. And I think teaching on giving is important. We don't want people to give under compulsion or guilt or under obligation. The Bible talks against all those things. We want people to be able to give in faith and joy and hope because that's the only way it's going to bless you. You see, it's not about the money. See, January of this year, January is always our hardest time for a year, just shooting straight with you. You know, usually our monthly giving is well over $30,000 and in January it hits to $24,000. So I don't know whether people don't get paid in January or how it works for you, but something happens. And so I want to be faithful to ensure that we're washing you with the word, that we're bringing God's word to bear on our lives and all across our lives. And before then we give a go forward fund, we want to be real clear and ensure that we're giving then in faith and joy and hope. So in Luke chapter 12, I want us to read from verse 13 through to the end of verse 31. And this is the word of the Lord. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of the rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? 
so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a smaller thing as that, why are you so anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And yet your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, even on such a sensitive topic as giving, Lord, we thank you that your word is our direction. Your word is the word. Your word speaks into our souls like no human being can. And so, Lord, would we be attentive to your word as our king, as our Lord, as our Father, as one who knows our frame, would we be attentive to your word? In Jesus' name, amen. And in the Bible, over 15% of the recorded words of Jesus are him talking about giving. And what you realize then as you examine the words of Jesus is that giving throughout his words and indeed throughout the whole Bible, giving really does afford us some great opportunities. I mean, some profound opportunities are found in the midst of giving as biblically defined. First and foremost, giving provides us with a great opportunity to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven and point our hearts to things above. Listen to Matthew 6, the words of Jesus. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, it can be so tempting and so easy to assume that in heaven it's a one-size-fits-all. Don't you think? I mean, it's like going to a kid's party. You go to a kid's party and you all come away with the same goodie bag. You get a bit of cake, you get a balloon, you get a pen, and you get a few treats. And it's easy for us to think, oh, heaven's probably going to be like that. It's going to be one big party, and when we get in, we get like an entrance goodie bag, and everybody gets the same thing. Incorrect. The Bible never, ever teaches that, ever. The Bible is clear that rewards will differ. Some people will get in by the skin of their teeth, and some people will get there and be lavished with rewards. This is part of what the Bible teaches us about those rewards. It's to do with how we have invested in this life. And the offer of the Savior, the command of the Savior, the offer that he's putting out to each one of us is, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. That is not going to work out. Because thieves come in and steal, rust destroy, moths destroy. None of us can remain here to enjoy it. 
but instead invest in this world into the world to come. Give it away in this world so that you can store up treasures in heaven. Many people don't like that because they go, oh, I don't like the idea of rewards. Well, get over it. Jesus is teaching it. He's the one saying, listen up. I want you to know as my people, this is the way it works. Do not store up yourself treasures here, but store up treasures there. Because you can enjoy them for 80 years here or millenniums there. The choice is yours. Yet what I love about this is it's not only tempting, I think, to not realize that understanding of rewards is biblically defined. It's also tempting, at least it is in my life, to think of and take this world as home. Do you ever feel that? It's so easy to just think, surely this is it. This is all we have. I need to be happy right here all the time. This is all life is about. Well, Jesus knows that temptation. He knows that's what you're going to feel like. So pay attention to what he's saying. He's saying, therefore, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, giving is a means of grace. It's an opportunity to help us be given by the Lord to ensure that our hearts don't get just obsessed in the horizontal, but instead our hearts are looking forward to heaven above, looking forward to a day when we'll be with him, looking forward to a day when we'll see his face and not just building the kingdom here, but building the kingdom there, being aware that this is what I'm about, this is my identity. A.W. Tozer says it this way, He says, the church is constantly being tempted to accept this world as home. But if she is wise, she will consider that she stands in the valley between the mountains, peaks of eternity past and eternity to come. For the past is gone forever, and the present is passing as swift as the shadow on the sundial of Ahaz. For even if the earth should continue a million years, not one of us could stay to enjoy it. And so we would do well to think of the long tomorrow. How true that is. You know, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You know what I'm saying? You can't take anything with you. But what Jesus is saying here is send it on ahead and let your hearts go there as well because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're not passionate about dying and going to heaven, start giving more. It will have a profound difference on your heart. Giving is an opportunity, a great opportunity to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven and to point our hearts to things above. But that's not all. Giving also provides us with a great opportunity to play our part in the building of the kingdom of God. You know, in the Old Testament, God's people were required to give a tenth, 10% of their income as a minimum to the building of the temple. They gave it to the Lord and they gave it in the context of the temple. And that money then was given to the building and the maintenance of the temple, the support of temple servants, priests and Levites, and to gospel mission, to helping those in need beyond the temple. And in the New Testament, that temple becomes the church, right? The temple is no longer where it is. The temple is now people, God taking people from all tribes and languages and backgrounds and building them together into a dwelling place for him, the church, his bride. And so in the New Testament, instead of people giving to the temple, they start to give to the church. And so in 1 Corinthians 9 and 1 Timothy 5, we see giving to support the church itself and the church's leaders. In 2 Corinthians 9 and Acts chapter 4, we see giving to support the needs of the poor. People starting to give and actually sell all they have and put it at the apostles' feet, literally the leaders of the church feet, and say, hey, listen, help those in need. 
You have more of a finger on the pulse of where people are in need. So, so I want to give everything I've got for you. Let, let it go out to the needy. Help the needy on my behalf. In Philippians 4, Romans 15, we see giving to support the advancement of the gospel. People taking up tithes and offerings so that the gospel can go forward in the next suburb and then the next city and the next country and so on and so forth. That runs all the way through the New Testament. It's part of what we are. And giving provides then you and I an opportunity to continue that trend. See, Acts only goes up to 28. But Acts chapter 29 is still being written. And it's being written by me and you. The Old Testament saints have done their work. The New Testament saints have done their work. Now we're on. We have an opportunity to say, okay, well, as for me and my house, Lord, I want to make my money count. I want to give back to you what you've stewarded me with in my wealth, which is what the reality of what we all face in Sydney. And Lord, would you use it for the advancement of your kingdom to see the gospel go out, not only locally, but beyond our shores. Giving provides us with that opportunity. And giving also provides us with an opportunity to do something that God loves. I love this. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. Paul says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I think that's profound. He's talking there about the law of sowing and reaping. And so the question we should be asking ourselves is not how much do we want to sow, but how much do we want to reap? Do you want to reap from the Lord? Okay, well, sow generously if you want to reap generously. You want to reap nothing from the Lord? Great, sow nothing. It'll work great. That's what Paul's saying. The point is this. But then he tells us, God loves a cheerful giver. Doesn't that excite you? To know that you have the ability to do something that God says, I love that. If he's really one that you love, would we not then be cultivated in our hearts to say, I want to do something that I know he loves, that brings him pleasure, that brings him joy, Giving provides us with some great opportunities. There is little doubt that that's the way it works, but there is also little doubt, if we're honest, that giving can be really challenging. Don't you think? Giving can be hard. You hear me saying that we're the most wealthy people in the world, some of the most wealthy, and you think, ah, he's not talking to me, though. He's talking to other people in the church. We all assume there's somebody else that's really rich. We are rich. You would not be living here if you were not rich. But giving is still challenging. It's really hard. And the reason for that is because our hearts, well, there's two reasons. Part of the reason is a reason without. Satan does not want you to give. He does not want your hearts to go to heaven. He wants your hearts to go here. He wants to distract you with right here. He does not want you to invest in gospel mission and see the gospel go forward. He doesn't want that at all. So Satan is opposed to you giving. But also the second reason why we don't give is because of within us, our hearts. I mean, straight up, I think sometimes we think of our hearts as like a friendly, old, venerable grandmother. But they're not. They are Vinnie, the used car salesman, okay? That's what's going on in our hearts. When you look at giving and when opportunities come to give, you, I don't know about you, but I don't sit across from the table in my heart with somebody going, oh, 
I'm so pleased we've got another opportunity to do this. What can we give up for the sake of the gospel? What can we do? We were going to do this, but I don't want to do that anymore. Let's do something. That's not the conversation I'm having. I'm chatting to Vinny, the used car salesman, inside of me. And Vinny's got a few things to share with me. For start off, he's got sacrificial concerns. And so one of his first questions is, Hey, Dave, didn't we talk about this last year? Wasn't there a go forward fund last year that you really sacrificed for last year? This is the year to eat, drink, and be merry. This is a year off for you. I just want to give you a rest, and then you can get back to it in the future. Vinny always has sacrificial concerns for me. Vinny also has budgetary concerns, because <laughs> he knows my budget as well. And so he likes to go through the budget with me. And these are the sounds that I hear from Vinny as I'm doing the budget. It's like when somebody comes around your house, like a plumber or electrician or a builder, and they, they want to let you know it's going to be expensive. These are the sounds I hear as I'm talking to Vinny about giving. Ooh. Oh, that's what I'm hearing from Vinny. He's concerned. He's concerned, looking at my budget, how this is going to play out. Vinny is also concerned about my comfort, because Vinny is me. Vinny is concerned about his comfort, and Vinny doesn't really want to give up anything. So if he can give and find a bit of cream from the top, he's happy to give that. But he doesn't want to give anything up because it's what makes you happy, right? I mean, you work really hard for your money, and so you don't really want to give it away. Vinny has quite a few concerns for me. I don't talk in my heart to a sweet little old grandmother. I talk to Vinny. I suggest to you, so do you. It's a challenge. Giving is a challenge. And that's why our hearts need to be washed with God's word. And that's what the Savior is doing right here in Luke chapter 12. He knows you're going to find giving hard. He knows it's going to be a challenge for you. He knows what Vinny's like. He knows what Satan's like. And so he wants to prepare us. He wants to speak to our hearts. He wants to wash us in the Word. He wants to bring clarity to our hearts so that we can overcome the obstacles to giving so that we may seize the opportunities that giving affords us. There are opportunities that he's putting out to us. And so there's three things in this text I want to draw out. All things that I think are challenges to giving. Challenges I want us to overcome, and I believe the Savior wants us to overcome. Because ultimately the Savior is after our hearts. This isn't primarily about the money. It's after your life. And ensuring that you don't waste your life. So number one, the folly of greed. The folly of greed. I mean, Jesus right here in verse 13 is once again teaching a crowd. Just like where we've been at in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is still very popular at this point. The crowd is coming out in their droves. And as Jesus is talking to this crowd and preaching to this crowd and teaching to this crowd, some young guy pops up his head and shouts out to the crowd, verse 13, Hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Oh, thank you for that. That's a lovely contribution. You know, it must have been a strange moment as he's teaching and and sharing his heart for people and then this dude just pops up his head and, hey, teacher, tell my brother, who's probably there, tell him to share the inheritance with me. You know, on the face of it, it doesn't really look like a massively bad request, does it? I mean, maybe his brother's been selfish. Maybe his brother's been inappropriate with the money. Maybe he's not sharing it at all. And so this man, you know, on the face of it, maybe he's just looking for justice and and all that type of thing. And yet Jesus, knowing this man's heart, seizes this man as an object lesson. 
and seizes this opportunity as a teaching opportunity because he knows this man's heart isn't good at all. This man's heart is already succumbing to the folly of greed. See, it's clear as you read through the text that this man's heart revolved around an insatiable desire for stuff. He wanted stuff. He wants stuff. And he wants stuff because he thinks, if I can just get the inheritance, if I can just get stuff, then I'll, I'll be happy. I'll have an identity. I'll have security. I will never want for anything again. So he's got this insatiable desire for stuff so that he can be happy, so he can have identity, and so that he can have security for as long as he lives. So, hey, teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And yet Jesus doesn't comment on really that part of it at all, other than, hey, I'm not a judge. But he seizes this man to teach this man and care for him and to teach us about the folly of greed. Look with me what he says in verse 15. And he said to them, he's touching to the crowd and to the disciples and to this man, he said to them, take care and be on your guard against covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. You know, one of the things that's curious to me is that as a pastor, I've been around people for many, many, many years, and people phone you up with many problems, many heart issues, many difficulties. I've never heard anybody ring me up once and say, hey, Dave, could you help me? I'm just feeling convicted of greed. No one's, I've never heard that call. And yet the Savior here is saying, take care and be on your guard against that. You must guard against this. How much more than do you think he would be emphasizing that if he was here in Sydney, given all that we have? Take care and be on your guard against covetousness, and yet no one ever thinks they're greedy. Ever. And yet Jesus is saying, no, this is a distinct challenge. You will face this. You must be on your guard against it. I mean, listen, have you ever thought honestly that if I only have blank, then I'll be happy. If I can only get the house, because I don't want to rent ever again, then I'll be happy. If I could only get the flat screen TV, I'd be, I'd be sorted, I'd be great, and then I'd probably start giving like loads. If only I could get the iPad, if I could just get the iPad, then I reckon I'd be super happy if I could just do the round-the-world holiday. I probably would never want to go on holiday ever again. Well, until the next time. But, you know, right now, I just think if I could only get that, then I'm sure I would be happy. You ever thought that? That's finding your happiness in stuff. Thinking that if you can just get that stuff. Or maybe you've thought like this. I know I certainly have. You know, you go ahead and buy something. So you get your iPhone 5, and you are chuffed to bits with it, you know what I'm saying? So you get your iPhone 5, and you're like, check this out. I mean, you even, want to, you even walk around like this just so everybody knows that you've got one, and you're like, yes, iPhone 5, yes, just out last week, queued up all night, yeah, iPhone 5. And you're so pleased with the iPhone 5, you're showing your wife, she's bored with it after about 10 minutes, it's like, put it away, you're in bed. But you're like, yeah, but it's an iPhone 5. Have you not seen this? Let me tour you through it. You know, you're, you're so excited about your iPhone 5, until your friend brings along an iPhone 6. And then your iPhone 5, I think this is just rubbish. You know, I need to save it for an iPhone 6. I'm not happy anymore with this iPhone 5. It just does nothing for me. I mean, it's, it's barely, barely worth anything. It's a paperweight. And, oh, love, we need to save it for an iPhone 6. And 
You ever done that? Or you get a TV. This is my story. Got a TV. And I got the biggest one I could afford. We saved up for it for ages. I brought it home. I was so proud. I just wanted to sit there. Emma and the children, gather round. Let's watch the NRL. No one wanted to do that. But let's just look at this big screen. And it was great. And then I went over a friend's house, and they had a screen at least 10 inches bigger. And I just thought, I don't like my TV anymore. You know, am I the only one that struggles with these types of challenges? The temptation to think, if I can only get blank, then I'm sure I'll be happy. If I can just move on from what I've got, then I'm sure I'll be happy. Listen, the moment you think that, greed is already at your door. Because that's what covetousness is. Finding your identity in stuff. Thinking, if only I can have X, I will be profoundly happy. And then I'll move on and give. And yet the truth is you never move on to give because your heart goes with you and your heart wants something else. That's what greed is. And in Western culture, I think we are particularly susceptible to it and we can particularly feel the drive towards it. So we all know as Christians that Jesus came to give us life and that in abundance. We all know it. But in our Western culture, I think sometimes we can hear that that abundance is surely then stuff. He came to give life to me and stuff. So I'm just trying to be happy. But that is so not the teaching of Scripture. Jesus did come to give us life and that in abundance. An abundance in identity. But that abundance in identity was never meant to be in our stuff, in what we own, our homes and our cars and our stuff. It was meant to be in his death and resurrection. Our identity is with him. That's why we get into the, baptized into the waters, not of stuff, but baptized into the waters of his death and resurrection as we unite ourselves with him. Jesus came to give us an abundance in our security, not in our staff and what we own, but in the reality that we're adopted into the family of God and that he will hold us and hem us in all the way until we go be with him. Jesus came to give us an abundance of joy, not in our stuff, but in the reality that you are saved. He's forgiven you and redeemed you and adopted you, and heaven is going to be your home. So live for that day. Give yourself to that. It's not about stuff. Do you see how easily in the Western culture we can swing it by? Wow, my friend's got that. I think if God really loved me, I'd be having that. Really? Do you see that in the teachings of the Apostle Paul? Do you see that in the teachings of Jesus? Because what I'm reading is take up my cross and follow me. That doesn't sound very entertaining or comfortable. And yet we wrongly assume that we need stuff. My friends, the folly of greed is just that. It's folly. It's foolishness. Because you're believing a lie, thinking that if only I can get blank, I'll be happy. You won't be happy. You'll want for something else. And then you'll want for something else. And then you'll want for something else. It's only Jesus that can provide true security and identity and joy. It's only as we give ourselves to him we will experience what identity and joy and security is. And the only way we can give ourselves to him is primarily in this realm by giving. I said, okay, well, I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give stuff away because I want my joy to be found in you, not in my stuff. So, Lord, I'm going to give it. 
The folly of greed is just that, it is folly. And so as verse 15 says, take care then and be on your guard against all covetousness. My friends, sovereign graces, we give. I want to encourage you, take care then and be on your guard. I love that expression. It's like if I told you, listen, just to let you know, there's a burglar in your area. You'd be like, oh, I better go home. I better lock the doors, check the car, all the stuff. You would be taking action. I'm calling you to do that as your pastor when it comes to your giving and when you think about your finances. Take care and be on your guard against greed. It will succumb to you, succumb you quicker than you think. And yet it's folly. That's the Savior's words. He's caring for you. That's not all he talks to us about. Number two, the tragedy of unbelief. The second obstacle that we see in this text, you see, unbelief really is an absolute tragedy because it robs us. Instead of going on the adventure of giving with the Savior, instead of actually storing up for ourselves treasures on heaven, instead of actually pointing our heart to things above, instead of actually doing something that we know he loves, instead of actually building the kingdom of God, we build our kingdom and we just do it because we're succumbing to the tragedy of unbelief and yet it totally and utterly robs us. See, there's only really two reasons why people don't give. It's either we don't believe the Bible, we really just don't believe it, so we see giving in the Bible, we just think, oh, I just don't want to. Or we believe the Bible, but we're gutless. We're fearful. So we never do it. And we have to bottom out, which one am I if I'm not giving? Because we're going to be one of them. If this is true, then it's true. And so Jesus says this to encourage our faith in verse 22. Look at what he says. He says, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And then drop down to verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. And do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and yet your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. You know, right here, Jesus uses the argument of the lesser to the greater, and it's not hard to work out. He's saying, listen, sovereign grace, consider the ravens, the birds of the sky. Consider how God feeds them which is how they're still alive. Consider the lilies of the field. Consider how God clothes them. And his point then is simple. Listen, if God cares for the ravens and the lilies like that, how much more will he care for you as your father? He's your father. So what makes you think is you're going to give to him and give generously that he's going to say, oh, thanks for that. No money left for you. It's unbelief, isn't it? It's rank unbelief in our hearts that makes God about this big. I just can't trust him. I don't know. How will I cope? That's the tragedy of unbelief. 
You know, I want to think of the best examples in Scripture of somebody who was the opposite of that, who embraced faith in the Lord, is the poor widow in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, Jesus is outside the temple courts. He's sitting opposite the treasury. He sees 13 brass treasure chests, which are like horns, trumpets. They're like inverted horns with a little hole in the top where you'd put your money. And he's sitting opposite that. And as he watches, there are many rich people, many very wealthy people that are coming up and giving out of their wealth. And he just, he's grieved by that because these guys have got loads of money and they're coming in with trumpets and banners. It's just like, yeah, just to let you know, I'm very rich and I'm giving not a lot, but just to let you know, I'm giving. And so they're pouring it in the horns. And it's grieving Jesus. But there's then this little old lady that comes in with tattered clothes, clearly a widow. And she goes there and she puts in two two mites or leptas, just tiny, small copper coins. They're valued at about one-thirtieth of a cent. She gives it, and Jesus quickly responds with, I love that. I'm going to tell of that. Look at her. Well, why is it that his gaze was so captured with her? He was so captured with her because she was an example of trusting God. She was a widow. She had no family to care for her, no welfare state. She couldn't just give today, knowing that, oh, I'll get another Centrelink payment on Monday, she'd be fine. She had nothing. But she trusted the Savior and trusted in God, and she gave away all she had. What an example for us. And folks, I want to encourage you, in the same way she trusted in God, knowing that we have the same God, we can trust in him as well. Amen? We can trust in him. When we give, we can trust in him. And that story then of the widow isn't designed to therefore say, go and do likewise. I wouldn't suggest to any of you this morning that you go and sell everything you have and give it to the church. We would welcome it, but I wouldn't suggest it. That's not what the story is teaching. That's not what it's about. But what it is about is trusting in God, knowing that we can, knowing that we have one that we can look to. And there's some things, to be honest, I, cannot, I can't teach you. You've got to walk with the Savior by himself. I remember when I was 19, learning this lesson off my dad. So when I was 19, nearly 20 years old, I got engaged to a girl, not Emma, a different girl, and I left university because I thought, oh, I married this girl, this is awesome. She actually had a job, so we bought a house together. I got a job that was really rubbish, but we took out a big car loan, big house loan, it was sweet. And then six weeks before we were due to get married, she called the whole thing off. And I was left with the house and the car loan. And I was earning at that point £7,000 a year, so $14,000 a year with a house and a car loan. Blood was draining from my face. You know what I'm saying? It was horrendous. I remember calling, calling my dad in an absolute horror of, Dad, what on earth am I going to do? And he said, yeah, he said, man, those bills are big. I said, yeah, I know that. Thanks for that. Really encouraged by that, Dad. Um, anything else? And he said, yeah, yeah. How's your giving? I nearly choked there and then. I went, how is my giving? <laughs> yeah, that is unhelpful right now, Dad. I don't, this is so, you know, get out of my face, but thanks for calling. You know, what do you mean, how is my giving? He said, well, son, we've taught you for years that you can trust God, and now's your time to work it out for yourself. And I was challenged. I felt sick. That's the reality. But I was challenged. I thought, if, if everything I've been taught is true, 
Now I'm going to give. I said, 19 years old, I started tithing. I worked at 10% of my income, and I'm like, I'm giving that to the Lord flat out. And then I'm going to try and put offerings on top of that. That's what I'm going to do. I had no money. I could not afford to do what I'm telling you. But you know what? That month, <laughs> I don't quite know how it worked out. I didn't go without anything. And yet I'd given to the Lord. The next month, I got a promotion at work that I had not anticipated at all. It wasn't on the cards. It was a total surprise. But they said, hey, we want to give you more money. We want to increase your wage by 25%. I'm like, this is unbelievable. Yeah, this is great. So I gave. <laughs> I'm like, this, this is, we're going to do this again. So I gave to the Lord, trusted in the Lord again, gave, gave 10% and offered on top of that. And we're like, you know, we, I'm going to do this. I got this pay rise. And people from work then were saying, listen, what are you going, what, how, how's it going for you in your home? And, and I was struggling. I mean, at that time, I, I didn't even have a sofa. I just had a TV. <laughs> I was the typical guy. I had a TV on a little bench, and that was it. That was the only thing in my house. And I sat on the floor and watched TV in the nights. Um, and a lady from work said, hey, we've got a three-piece suite. We've got a sofa and lounge that, that you can have if you like. And we've got a TV stand. Have you got a TV? Sweet. Yes, I've got a TV. So she br- and I said, oh, the thing is, I haven't got any money to actually get it to my house. And she said, that's fine. We're hiring a van anyway. We'll drop it over your house. Okay, sweet. She said, oh, actually, we've got some beds as well. Yes, that would be good. I'm on the floor. It was just great. And, and we, I just saw time and time again, God moving. I'd go out for dinner with people and they'd say, hey, we want to pay. We know you, this is a tight time for you. We want to pay. I would have mystery gifts through my door. I kid you not, money coming through my door. So I kept giving. And little by little over the months and years, I started doing more and more and more money. And I kept tithing. I kept giving. And I'd have to say now, 21 years on, I've never really gone without you know, giving, you, start, you think, oh, I'm just sacrificing so much. When you're truly on the adventure of giving with a Savior, you stop feeling like you're sacrificing at all. Because not only are you blessed in the now, you know, I'm storing up for myself treasures in heaven. This is a win, 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 win. And my heart is heavenly focused in big part just because I give. <laughs> Should I keep going? So, so that was my story. That's the way I came about it. And I don't say that to you so that you're meant to be look, working through and thinking, oh, what a hero. That's not my point. I'm just trying to give an illustration of you can trust the Lord. You can. And not everybody will agree with you on that. People will push back through that. Your accountant will think you're stupid. But if this is true, then we stand on it. We go together. And we keep working this through for the glory of the Lord. My friends, he's faithful. He is truly faithful in what we do. One of the biggest obstacles to giving is fear. I still feel it. I still have it. Every single year when it comes to the Go Forward Fund, my first thought is, maybe we could reduce it this year. Every year. And I have to talk to my wife about it because she usually says, no, that's not a good idea at all. But I'm tempted unbelief is still a factor. But that's not all. Number three, the mirage of control. See, at different times, we all like to think that we're in control, don't we? We all like to think that we're in control of our lives. I know I do. But in reality, we're not. See, we go to the doctors and we're feeling unwell. And he tells you, I've got bad news for you. You've got cancer. And he will hang on a minute. I've done my oils. 
I've done my eating well. I've done my runs. I've done my cows to 5K. What do you mean? How does this work? You've got cancer. And then you go to the, the work and you spend time in the office and this is a job you love. You've been working hard. You've been diligent. You've given everything up for this work. You've gone about it with passion and zeal and your manager comes in and says, hey, I just need to tell you, you've lost your job. We're laying people off. And then what do you mean? I've been working hard. I'm in control of this. I've been working hard, right? You liked me last week. We're laying people off. I'm afraid you've lost your job. You go to your savings account and you think, you know, where's it gone? I've lost nearly all of it. How did that happen? I've been diligent. I've been seeking advice. And your financial advisor says, yeah, but there was a global financial crisis and everything's reduced by 80%. You know, we like to think that we're in control. And yet in reality, we really can't control much, can we? I was chatting to one person in our life group the other week and I was on the phone to them and he actually made a comment to me of, yeah, work's pretty challenging at the minute and you just realise you're really not in control of much, are you? And I'm like, that is so true. And that's what Jesus tells this young man in verse 25. Verse 25, he says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If you then are not able to do a smaller thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? You know, we like to think we're in control, don't we? But what Jesus is saying here is, listen, if you think you're in control, that's sweet. Tell me, who amongst you can add a single hour of your life? And you realize, well, I I can't do that. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. I can't add an hour. If you've chosen that time for me, that's, that's the time. And that's his point. You're not in control in a way you think you are. You can't control all your outcomes. However much you try and control your finances, that will not work to bring you happiness and security identity. It doesn't work. But what it does teach us in the Scripture is ultimately he is in control. He's at the bottom of it all. It's so tempting, I know, in my life to think, yeah, but I've worked hard for that money, and that's true. But God gave you breath the whole time you were doing it. He provided the opportunity for you. He was the one that carved it out for your glory. And what you realize then, control is a mirage. It's an illusion. You think you've got it, but in reality, you don't have it at all. My friends, don't then succumb to the challenge of the mirage of control, because it's a mirage. It's an illusion. Don't let that stop you thinking, but I've just got to control this, because that's how I'm going to be happy. Listen, You're not in control of it anyway. I'm not saying, obviously, that we shouldn't therefore take counsel and steward our finances well. Of course we should. I'm not just talking about stupid neglect. But in it all, we need to know, if I give, I can trust the Lord. He's got me. And there's no point just keeping it, thinking I need to control it, because in reality, you're not in control anyway. It's not true. My friends, I want to encourage you then, as we look out at another year, Another go forward, fund ahead, another year of offerings. Let us not waste then our giving. Giving really does afford us some great opportunities. Opportunities to lay lay up treasures in heaven for ourselves, to point our hearts to things above, to play our part in the building of the kingdom of God, and to do something that God loves. 
And so let's not give in to the challenges we face. But let's overcome them and play a part in those opportunities. Let's not be distracted by the folly of greed. Let's not give in to the tragedy of unbelief and let us not succumb to the mirage of control. But instead, let's realize we have a profound opportunity to give and seize it for the glory of the Lord. Amen. I'd like to invite the band back up. Because in a moment, we're going to sing a song, Be There My Vision. And I want us to, in a sense, as we sing it, to make this prayer our own, to brandish it for ourselves before the Lord. But before that, I'm going to pray for us too. Well, Lord, we do thank you for your word. Lord, it's provoking, it's challenging, it's a sensitive topic. And yet you and your grace and wisdom don't back off it at all. Because you know where our treasure is, there is our heart. And you want our hearts. So Lord, would you help us then to seize the opportunities of giving? Would you help us to brandish the opportunities we have and continue seeing the gospel go forward? Lord, as we do, would your grace abound to us all in your precious name. Amen.